If anyone understands what he meant at the end, then please do explain to the rest of us what that meant. Um, for, for those of you who um, are interested in trying to figure out um, what all he was talking about, uh, there's going to be a video at the end of service. Um, if you want to stick around and watch it, we'll play it. Uh, after the benediction, benediction is a time of, of blessing, closing prayer and blessing. And then um, the, the, the piano will play for a, a brief uh, postlude for you to pray. And, uh, and then once that's done, we have a receiving line. After that, uh, when the postlude is done, there'll be a, a video if you want to watch more about what that, uh, what that time at GLD was like. Uh, we're here. Uh, I know we've got some new folks here, people who are guests or people who are back in town. Uh, we're in a series called Experiencing God on an Ordinary Day. Just this idea of that um, uh, Michelangelo's fresco at the Sistine Chapel of uh, God reaching out to, to, to Adam. The desire of God's heart is to meet with his people. Always, always, always. That's the great heart of God. He wants to be with his people. He wants to love his people. He wants to meet with his people. He does that in a bunch of different ways. He does that at places like GLDI. He does that in places like Ecuador, where uh, we've got some friends from Ecuador, Pastor Henry Bermano and others are here. Uh, Salome, Glenda, thank you for coming. Uh, he, God meets us in places like Ecuador, in the Dominican Republic, in different places, in the mission field. He meets us at retreats. He meets us at revivals. But God also wants to meet us on very ordinary days, where there's not a lot on the schedule, and there's not much going on. God in my waking, God in my sleeping, there in my breathing, there in my walking. God in all places, he wants to meet with us. Last week, we saw this idea that God wants to meet us, and he does meet us very powerfully, oftentimes in the hardest moments of our lives. What we consider to be the fire, the crucible. God's intent for the fire is not to burn or destroy us, but it is to refine and purify us. God's desire is to meet us wherever we are. We saw that last week, how we respond. You know, you talk to people who are going through difficult times and they say as they get out of that hard time or even in the midst of that hard time, countless people will say, the place I met God the most was not when life was going great, but when my life was at the hardest. In the darkest moments of my life, I actually uh, allowed God to speak to me and I encountered God in the most powerful, most profound and most personal ways when I was at the lowest moments of my life. How we respond when the fire is turned up in our lives, how we respond during the hardship of our lives will go a long way in determining uh, our relationship with God. In a similar way, this is what Martin Luther King Jr. said, didn't he? He said, the true measure, the ultimate measure of a person, the ultimate measure of man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands in moments of challenge and controversy. Okay, the ultimate measure of a person is not where we're standing when life is easy, but when life is hard. Our choices in those moments when the pressure is on is going to determine who we are. People have used this illustration all the time. It takes pressure in order to make a diamond, in order for something beautiful to come forth. Where we stand in moments of pressure, how we respond to the pressure of life is going to determine in large part who we become. We all know this at a at a practical level, don't we? You know, when, no one cares how good of a player someone is during practice if they don't show up in the game. And I, had, I had friends who, whenever we would play uh, basketball tournaments or you know contests or things like that, uh, they'd be great in practice. They're like 100%, and everyone's like, dude, this guy's amazing. But once they get out into the real game, they can't hit, <laughs> we couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. Right? They're just so bad at can't make anything once the pressure is on. You also know that uh, preseason basketball has started. No one cares how well you do in the preseason if you don't show up in the regular season. It doesn't matter how good you do in the regular season if you don't show up during the playoffs. And that's the stuff where legends are made. When the pressure is higher, how you respond is going to determine who you're going to become. Why tonight's presidential debate is going to be so highly viewed because there's pressure on both sides. And no one cares how well the candidates do in their canned speeches. It's when people are asking and firing questions from the audience that are unplanned and unscripted that you see the true test of a person. How we respond in times of difficulty, in times of hardship, are going to go a long way in determining how far you go. But today I want to take that step a step further. 
to show us that the choices that we make in the crucible, in the furnace, when the pressure is up in our lives, could very possibly lead other people to an encounter with God as well. Not only can we encounter God most powerfully and profoundly in the storms and the pressure points of life, but we can lead other people to an encounter with God based on how we respond to the fire of life. First Kings chapter 17, we're going to read verses 7 through 24. The passage about this uh, Old Testament prophet named Elijah. And as we read this, it's the making of a prophet, the beginning of his prophetic journey where God is molding and making him into a man of God before he engages the prophets of Baal, before he calls down fire from heaven, before all of these things happen. Uh, God is putting him through a test. Two main characters, Elijah and a widow who lives in a village called Zarephath. We're going to pick up. It's a drought season. First uh, Kings chapter 7, Elijah the prophet is wondering, how will God take care of me when I have no home? I've got no money, no food. First Kings 17 verse 7, this is God's word. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Okay, so a drought is in session. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Elijah. Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Okay, a widow will give you food. So he went to Zarephath when he came to the town gate. Okay, he comes to the town gate. A widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? She was going to get it. He called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, <clears throat> in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is God's word. We're going to read the last eight verses a little bit later on, but... Uh, two crazy miracles that happened. I, um, this is the jar of flour that would not run dry, the jug of oil that would not, uh, would not run out of, of, of oil when she had enough to make one cake left and die. Last year, uh, one of our missionaries in the uh, Middle East uh, were going to visit a, a city about an hour away from where they, were, where they were living. And they had a contact in that city, very strategic area where they were going to uh, do ministry, and they had contacts and people that they wanted to reach out to. And so as the missionaries were going, it was actually two ladies were going out to that region an hour from home, and they had their cell phone, and their battery said they had 1%. Okay. This is like nightmare for most of us in here, especially if you're a teenager and you're expecting someone to Snapchat something. This is like 1% is a nightmare. But for a missionary engaging in spiritual battle, going to place, and you've got contacts out there, 1% is, is nothing. They have an hour ride, and so they uh, got the contact's phone number, wrote it down on a piece of paper, for now the phone is going to die. 30 minutes into the trip, the phone rings, and the missionary answers the phone and starts talking uh, on the phone for several minutes, hangs up the phone, and looks at it, and still at 1%. Like, wow, this is pretty good. 15 minutes later, another phone call comes, answers the phone, talks on the phone for another few minutes, hangs up the phone, and it's still at 1%. An hour after they've reached their city now, they're walking into the place. Uh, they look at their phone, it's still at 1%. They make a phone call to that missionary, con to, their, to their contact, find out where they're going to meet, and they, they set up this connection. And as soon as they get into the place where they're going to meet, the battery and the phone runs out and it dies. And as they're telling this story uh, over email to their countless supporters, they said, this reminded us 
of this passage in Elijah, of the jar that would not go empty and the jug that would not go dry. Whatever God did, guys, in the Old Testament, God is able to do today. He's the same God. Whatever God did in the New Testament, he's able to do today. We have to believe this. We have to understand this. And what God does here through this passage of this widow as she gives of herself, she was used by God to create an encounter so that a prophet of God can continue the ministry that he was called to do. What do we see here? The first thing that we see in this passage, three thoughts I just want to bring out. The first thing is God can use anyone, anywhere to help others encounter God. God can use anyone, anywhere to help others encounter, experience God. You see, there's a drought going on. There's a drought in Israel. There's a drought in this passage here. It says sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Drought is the worst condition that you could ever imagine in the ancient Near East, in in an agrarian culture where everything that you have to live on depends on rain. Verse 8, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, says, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Zarephath of Sidon, if I could propose to you, is not the first place that a person might go in order to encounter God. In fact, you might argue that it would be the last place somebody might go. First of all, because you're going from one drought condition to another drought condition. It's not like they have anything more that Israel did not have. The other thing that we see here is that Zarephath of Sidon was in the heart of Baal country, in the heart of the worship of false gods. And so God in heaven, the God of Israel, is commanding Elijah, go into the heartbeat of enemy territory where every other God might be acceptable except for me and go into that place because there I'm going to encounter you. But another reason we see Zarephath of Sidon, if you look at chapter 16, verse 31, it says that uh, Sidon, the king of Sidon, had a daughter named Jezebel. And if you've been reading and you've been tracking with 1 Kings, you know that Jezebel is the evil, wicked queen of King Ahab who was responsible, Jezebel was, for the massacre and the slaughter of countless people of God. Before there was the persecutor Saul in the New Testament, there was Jezebel, a bloodthirsty, hungry, bloody Mary of sorts who was responsible for the murder and the martyr of countless saints of God. And so God is telling Elijah, go to this drought conditioned town in the heart of Baal country, in the home of where this bloodthirsty queen lives, and hang out there because I'm going to meet you. Zarephath of Sidon is not the first place where you would expect God to show up, but what God shows us is that he's willing to go anywhere in order to meet with his people. So who does he use? He says, go because I've commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. What is she doing? Verse 10, he goes to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And apparently, she goes on to say, here's what I'm doing. I'm gathering sticks to make a fire, to make a cake of bread, to have one last meal so that I might die. In Zarephath, okay, Elijah comes to the town gate. Okay? Every ancient city had a gate, and at the gate was where the elders of the town would meet. These are the leaders of the town. They would have intellectual conversation, and more importantly, they would have economic transaction. If they were to happen anywhere, they would happen at the town gate. And so Elijah goes to Zarephath, to the place where the ballers hang out, the rich people, the people with money. But God says, I'm not going to provide through these rich people. I want you to actually go to a widow who's picking up sticks to have one last meal to cook for her baby son and herself in order that she might die. To be a widow in those, in those places uh, was, throughout the Bible you see this. God says, here's what true religion is. It's to take care of orphans and widows in their distress. Why? Because the rest of the world looked at orphans and they said, these people are good for nothing but to be thrown on the trash heap. And that's what they did. Orphans were often thrown in the town dump, especially those who are sick or those who are ill or those who are handicapped or those who are females were thrown in the town dump. 
And one of the main reasons the church in the New Testament began to explode is because Christians, hearing the call of God, went to these orphans, took them in, and cared for them. And what these ancient historians would say is, it is strange, these Christians. There's something divine in them. They not only take care of their own orphans, but they take care of our orphans as well. It was orphans and it was widows who were seen to be the refuse of the society. Orphans for those reasons, but widows because if you're a widow, it means that your husband has died. That means that your protection, not only, forget your lover, but your protection, your provision. Women were not educated. They could not get jobs. It's not like today where, where, where uh, half the people in universities are females. It wasn't like that in the ancient world. It was only men all the time. And so if you're married to a man, doesn't matter how rich they are, if they die, if you're a widow, your, your, your clock has begun to tick. You're a ticking time bomb ready to die. You have no income, you've got no money, you've got no protection, you've got no government agencies to help you. That's why God says to the most vulnerable of society, orphans and widows, you, the people of God, take care of them. Because orphans, I'm sorry, because widows were often exploited, because they were often taken advantage of, because they had no one to protect them, they became very suspicious, and as a result, they were very selfish. And so God says, listen, I've got a widow for you who's on her deathbed. The language of this passage says she's a young widow and she's got a young son. A young widow with a young son on their last meal. And God says, I'm going to provide through her. If Zarephath is not the first place you would go, then a widow is not the first person you would ask. But all this to say that God can use anyone, anywhere. Listen, God could have called Elijah to go to any widow, but specifically he calls him to Zarephath. Why? For those of you in here who are Hebrew scholars, you will know that the word Zarephath in Hebrew, if you translate it out, it means the crucible. The fire where gold is refined. He's saying, this widow who doesn't believe in God, who says, as surely as the Lord, your God lives in verse 12. She doesn't believe in God. Yet still, God has her in the crucible. And he sends Elijah into the crucible in order that his faith might be refined and purified through the fire that is Zarephath. God doesn't send us to easy places. Sometimes we go to very difficult places. And so God sends both Elijah and the widow into the crucible together in order that they might have an encounter with God. Can I tell you something? Your response when you're in the midst of the crucible can have a powerful effect in helping other people to encounter God. Be very careful when you're in the midst of a fire. The temptation in the midst of the fire is to complain, is to get angry, is to say, why me? Is to get bitter instead of getting better. And God's saying, listen, how you respond in the crucible could lead to an encounter with a prophet that could lead them to change the world. Sometimes God doesn't call us to be Elijah. He calls us to be the widow at Zarephath. Sometimes God doesn't call us to be the Moses. He calls us to be a bush that's willing to burn in the presence of God so that a prophet might be released into their destiny. Your response in the fire can lead many people to an encounter with God. We don't just live for ourselves. Your response in the midst of the crucible. You feel like you're in the fire? If you feel like you're in the fire, think about your life. God is doing something far greater than you think, than you know. It's not just about your life. That's why God is using little Ava Brightly in the midst of the fire of leukemia in her hospital bed, and he's using her simple faith to bring many people to an encounter with God. So many people in our congregation, as they've been through the fires of loss, of hardship, of difficulties, I've walked and seen them walk through the fires of life. My faith has been encouraged and strengthened by seeing some of you in here as you walk through the fire, and you sing this song, Blessed be your name on the road, marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. When I see you walk there, when others see you walk in that place, you're leading others to a face-to-face encounter with God. The least likely place to encounter God may be Zarephath, but God uses widows like us in that place to lead others to an encounter with him. 
in your sickness, in your illness, in your financial hardship, in your loss of dreams, in the dashing of your hopes, when you walk with God and you cling to God and you trust God and you worship God in the midst of the flames, he's using you to lead others to an encounter with God. Yesterday or two days ago, I was, uh, I was on Facebook and I saw, a, I saw a video that was posted by uh, uh, Corey's brother, Carmen's, Carmen's son, I don't know if you saw this. A preacher named Jensen Franklin is talking about this. And he say, he just invites us to imagine. I think this, this is a helpful illustration. Just imagine you're going home tonight uh, and you decide to order a pizza. Okay? You decide to order pizza from, uh, I know our, our brother Brian ordered a pizza yesterday. Uh, Brian orders a pizza and the pizza delivery guy comes and brings this you know, large, you know, I don't know, cheese pizza, pepper, whatever, whatever, whatever Brian wants. Brings this pizza rings the doorbell and he says, I've got your pizza, it'll be ten ninety nine or whatever it is. And, and as we think about a pizza being delivered, you think of a pizza being delivered in a box, but he doesn't have a box. He's just got the pizza, only the pizza. And it's like too big for his hands, so it's like flopping over and the cheese is all oozing down his arm and it's falling onto the floor. And he's like, hurry, hurry, take it, take it. And Brian says, hold up, where's the box? And the guy's like, I thought you ordered a pizza. Brian's like, I did order a pizza. He's like, that'll be ten ninety nine. No, I ordered a pizza, but I want the box with it too. Like, why would you want the box? You ordered a pizza. The box is only worth thirty cents. The pizza's worth ten ninety nine. You didn't pay for the for the box. You paid for the pizza. And Brian says, No, but I need the box because the pizza doesn't mean anything without the box. What is he saying? Nobody really wants the box. The only reason the box is important is because of what it carries inside of it. The only reason the box, that 25-cent box, has any significance at all, that anyone would actually want the box, is because that box contains the pizza in it. And the only reason why we have significance in us, this 25-cent box, is because we hold Christ in me, the hope of glory within us. God doesn't need, he says he doesn't need a pretty box or a decorated box or a handsome box or a talent. All he needs is a, just a regular box as long as it's emptied out and it's clean. God can use any box in order to convey the presence of God. It's not us. If God uses us to bless other people, nobody's saying, oh, look at that great pizza box. They're saying that pizza inside of it is amazing. God can use anybody, anywhere in order to lead other people to an encounter with God. He can use, he can use any of us, 6th grade, 8th grade, 10th grade, 40-year-old, 50-year-old, whoever we are, wherever we are, God can use us to lead other people to an encounter with him. Your response in the fire as you go through it is powerful and goes a long way in helping others to experience it. And that's the first thing. Second thing, second thing, when we give what we have to God, when you give what you have to God, you can help others experience Him. Doesn't matter how much you have, right? She didn't have a lot. It says, don't be afraid, verse 13. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And he says in verse 14, here's what the God of Israel, my God says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So imagine you're a widow and this drought has been on, I mean, people say it's, it's got to be at least three years for a drought situation to happen, but it's been, it's been, it's been coming for some time. She's picking up sticks ready to make one last meal. Imagine you're, I mean, this is maternal instinct here. You're a mother, a young mother of a young child. And some guy that you don't know comes up to you and says, I know you're about to make your last meal and die, but first make a cake for me too. Make a cake first for me. And then here's what my God says. Every day of your life, when you wake up, there's going to be a fresh, a fresh, a cake of bread for you whenever you need it. He's not promising that you're going to have a Panera, you're going to open a business, but he's saying, whatever you need that day, that your daily bread will be given to you. I'll give you enough so that you can make enough for that day. What do you do? 
I mean, there's a, she does it. She says, okay, I'll do as you say. But I'm thinking to myself, what could possibly be going through her mind? Could it be that she's thinking, I'm going to die anyways. So why not take a chance? But I, you got to think of it in some way, man, if I could at least sustain my, my child's life, whatever she's thinking, she thinks about the sacrifice that I, I don't have enough for three people, but he's saying, make it for me first. And then I promise my God promises that he'll take care of you. She takes a step of faith. She hears the sacrifice. She hears the promise. And in and, 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 and just one moment of faith, she goes all in. And she says, even if it cost me my life, I'm going to take a step of faith. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to give whatever I do have. And indeed, she encounters God in that place. The jar did not go empty, and the jug did not run dry. And every day, the Lord provided for her. It would have been a tragedy for her to say, I really want to help you, sir, but I just don't have enough. I don't have enough. Maybe the house next door can give it to you. The day she said that would be the day she dies. I can't. I can't give. I don't have enough to give to you. I don't have enough to give. Haven't we said that before? I don't have enough to give. But what if in us saying that, we're keeping others from encountering God? I don't have enough. Why don't you ask the person who's actually got some food? Why don't you ask the person who's talented? Why don't you ask the person who has a little bit more? Why don't you ask them? They have more resources. They have more time. He says, I don't care about what they have. I'm asking you, will you give what you have? So many times, y'all, we're fixated upon what we don't have. When God's saying, I don't care. I never asked you for what you don't have. You're concerned with that. The banks are concerned with what you don't have so that if you go below the minimum balance, they ask you to pay a fee. How do I pay a fee with money I don't have? Because I'm being uh, being fine for money I don't have. That doesn't make any sense. But God doesn't ask you for what you don't have. He says, would you just take what's in your hand and give that to me and let other people experience God? A few months ago, I was at the YMCA, I was playing basketball, and after I'd finished playing, I went into, the, into the, the, the locker room, and I was washing up, and as I was putting, taking on my contacts and putting my glasses on, uh, there was a man next to me, and he was uh, hairspraying his hair. He was about 80 years old, and you know, you don't really make, you don't look at people in the locker room, and so, um, but he was talking to somebody, and, and I remember I just, you know, I, I, he, was, he was spraying something in his hair. So I looked at him, 80-year-old man. He was about six foot one, and he was hairspraying his hair. And as I looked at him, this dude literally had about seven strands of hair sticking up. And he was, like, propping it up, and he was spraying it, and he was talking. And I was like, there is a man who is not concerned with what he doesn't have. <laughs> I said, here's a person who's making the most with what he does have. He doesn't care that I don't have all this stuff. I'll just let it fly around in the wind. Right? He's saying, no, I'm going to take what I've got, and I'm going to do my best with what I've got. I'm not going to worry. Right? People can make fun of me, but I'm going to do my best with the little that I do have. That's what this woman's attitude was. I may not have as much as everybody else, but listen, I'm going to give the best that I have. I'm going to do with it what I can. It doesn't make any sense. And I, you know, this is something that the Lord has been teaching me lately. A lot of times I feel like if it doesn't make sense to me, I need to at least understand a little bit more in order for me to go forward. But I'm constantly being reminded, and I've shared this several times at prayer meeting, what God is saying to me is, listen, you, it's not your job to figure it all out. Your job is to trust me, to pray, to do whatever I say, and I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, your family, your church, your friends need whatever it is that they need. They need money. They need whatever it is. It's not up to you to figure it out. It's up to you to pray and then let me figure out these things. It didn't make any sense. Why would I give the very last 
drop of, uh, of, of oil, the last handful of flour I have to some stranger when my child and I are dying. God says, you don't have to figure it out. Just do what I say. Just obey me here. Moses, you don't have to figure it out. I know that the road from Egypt to the promised land leads you through the Red Sea, but you don't have to figure it out. I'm going to take care of that. Just go ahead and do it. I understand that five pieces of bread and two fish can't feed a whole bunch of people, uh, but it's not up to you to figure that out. Just give it to me and watch me do what I can do with it. And so God calls us to give what we do have in order that other people might encounter God through us. How we respond in the fire. When I, I need a reserve for myself, I don't have, I don't have that much to give. Because would you take a step of faith? If God's, hey, for some of us, God's saying, hey, don't give. Hey, for others of us, he's saying, yeah, do give. He, there are reasons why he would tell us not to, not to give if we're being foolish or stupid. But if he's calling us to give, then yeah, wherever he's calling us to be. Peter, it's not up to you to figure out, can the laws of gravity work on the Sea of Galilee? It's up to you to take a step of faith. I'll take care of the rest. What if... On the other side of your obedience to the thing that God has been calling you to do, there would be countless people coming to encounter God. Might not make sense to you or to me, but God's saying, would you take that step of faith? Would you do it? You're down to your last piece of bread, and God says, give it, because something's going to happen. Would you do it? This unbelieving in the heartland of idol worship country, on her deathbed, that I'll give. We have no excuse on the other side of Calvary. We who know God, we who know the goodness of God, we who don't say the Lord your God, but the Lord my God, ever faithful, never changing through the ages. And what reason do we have not to go all in for God? He calls us to give. It's the second thing that we see. The last thing that we see, when we help others experience God, we help others experience God, we open the door to experience God as well. She gives, she experiences God in this way, and for a while, things are going great. Okay? Things are going great. Verse 16, for the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord. So everything is going well. And then in verse 17, Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. Took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times. This is just weird, okay? Three times and cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. This is God's word. Crazy stuff, right? So things are going great. She's, I mean, she's, life has been prolonged for her and her son for months. She wakes up in the morning and, oh, hey, hey there's still flour in here. Oh, there's still oil in the jar. Let's make some patty cake. <laughs> and make some bread and eat it. So life is going well until sometime later when her son becomes ill and dies. You ever had an experience like this before? When God says, give everything that you are to me, and you do, and God shows up. And you're like, holy cow, this is amazing. And everything is going so well. God answered your prayers. For whatever miracle it was that you needed, or God took care of you, he showed faithfulness to his promise, everything is going well, and then all of a sudden things go from where you were before in that bad condition to even worse. It's not that they've both died together, but her son dies. 
And so she gets angry. And she's like, what in the world is going on? Have you ever had an experience? This is sometimes, a lot of times, how God works. He goes from a test, and in your obedience, there's a blessing, and then you come out with a testimony, and then the temptation from that place is that we would then begin to rest. Test, bless, testimony, rest. And whenever we get into that place, sometimes God will bring about another test in order that we might be shaken out of our comfort and out of our rest. Why? Because, guys, God doesn't just want to meet us in the furnace. He wants to meet us every day on the ordinary days of our lives. And sometimes after having a testimony of a great blessing when God showed up through a testing, it's easy for us to rest and for us not to seek after God on a day-to-day basis. And that's what God wants. Are you going through a test after you seem like you were blessed? God wants to meet you again. He doesn't want you to coast along until you get to glory. And perhaps that's what she was doing. I don't know what was happening, but ultimately what God was doing was something far greater. She had blessed Elijah, and now she's angry. I gave everything, and now everything is taken away from me. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever felt like, God, all the sacrifices I've made, I gave everything up for you. I gave up my dreams. I gave up that hope. I gave up that whatever it is in order to serve you as a house church shepherd, in order to serve you in this way, and now things get worse. Why? Have you ever felt like that? I can't remember if I mentioned this before, but... Um, I asked Olivia, and she thinks I did. I asked Pastor Daniel. He says he thinks I did it, so one of them is right. A few months ago, uh, our family was out at the mall, and I forgot what Olivia and the girls were doing. So Elijah and I, we had some time to kill. And so I said, is it with Elijah or Elise? I think it was Elijah. We went to, um, from the food court to Urban Outfitters um, just to kind of look around and see if they had any, uh, anything cool there. And we went to the sales section. There's this clothing rack, 25% off. I was like, you know, things at Urban Outfitter, you basically have to sell your arm and your leg to, to buy something. So I'm just going to look and see. And there was this T-shirt, a large T-shirt that, that fits me. It was green, so not the prettiest color. But maybe you know, I need a green shirt so no one pinches me on St. Patrick's Day. And I looked at it, and it had Snoopy on it. I thought, oh, my, this is amazing. And Snoopy, it said cheers, but he was drinking root beer, right, which is awesome. Like, I can actually wear this in public and not get, oh, you bad alcoholic pastor. So I had root beer, <laughs> Snoopy on it. He's saying, cheers. I said, this is awesome. And I looked at it and the price tag said $38. But there was an orange sticker over it said $5. $5. I was like, dude, $5 t-shirt. So I took it over there, uh, picked it up. I said, Elijah, do you like this shirt? He's like, yeah, I like it. So we walked over to the, to the cashier, paid for it. She rang it up. And it was $3.72, 25% off of the $5 or something like I said, whoa. And the cashier looked at me. She looked at the price. She's like, yeah, you're a big spender, huh? <laughs> I said, big spender. And so I paid the money. I was like, Elijah, this is awesome. I really like this shirt. And so I felt like this is a, this is a major score for me. Right? So we went home. And that night, I went into my bathroom to put it on. So I could come out and show uh, Olive and Manny and Elise. I was so excited. And I put on this large shirt. And it was the tightest T-shirt <laughs> ever worn in my life. It was like so form-fitting that I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even breathe. It's like Snoopy is like literally absorbed into my body. So I started pulling it and stretching. I was like, man, $3. This, I cannot return this. And I was like stretching it, stretching it, stretching it, pulling it in every which direction. And I, was, I looked at the man. I was like, it doesn't look so bad, right? It's not like, at least it's not stuck to my skin. And so I walked out. Like, this is the grand entrance. I'm walking down the runway out of my bedroom into the kitchen. And I said, hey, guys, Manny and Elise and Olive are all there. <laughs> said, how does this shirt look? And Manny looks at my face, and immediately her face goes down to my belly. And she starts laughing like crazy. I guess it was still tight in my stomach area. And she's laughing, and she's laughing. She's like, Daddy, look at your... And she said, hold on. And she walks up, and she starts patting my stomach like there's a drum. 
She's like, Daddy, you look like a SeaWorld trainer. And I was like, <laughs> she's laughing and laughing and laughing. And because she's laughing, Elijah, who thought it was a good shirt to begin with, he starts laughing. He's like, Daddy, SeaWorld trainer. Ha, 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 ha. He has no idea what that means. And then Elise is like, because they're laughing, she's laughing. And ah, ha, ha, because they're laughing, all is laughing. She's like, ha, ha. And everyone is laughing at me. And so I quickly run into the room and I close the door and I started crying. And I was like, <laughs> I ripped off this shirt. I threw it on the bed so angry and I started I looked at Snoopy and I was like Snoopy I was really angry at him all these years I took care of you I even talked about you in my sermon everything that I did for you I paid three dollars and 72 cents for you and you do me dirty like this I can't believe you I sacrificed all that money she even said I'm a big spender I gave all that for you and now I'm the laughing stock of my family you ever felt like that with God though God, I gave everything to you. I gave everything to you. I sacrificed, I gave all of these things, and you do me dirty like this. How could you do this to me, God? That's what this lady is saying. What do you have against me, man of God? She doesn't have a relationship with God, and so she appropriates that through Elijah. What do you, what do you have against me, man of God? You come here to kill my son. But what she doesn't realize is that she's still in the crucible. She's still in Zarephath. And what God wants to do is so much more than what she originally wanted. All she wanted, I just want food to live for a day. God says, I'm going to give you faith to live for a lifetime. So it came at the cost of her son's life. So her son dies. She's flipping out. She's like, God, what do, you, what do you have against me? How could you do this to me? She screams at Elijah. Elijah takes him upstairs and weird stuff again. I don't understand why. I didn't, you know, if I, I didn't read all the commentaries to say why he had to lay down on top of him and, and three times say all these things. That, but he cries out to God. Elijah doesn't know either. It's not like, he's, like God said, hey, Elijah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take his life, and then you're going to lay on him three times and do this like crazy hocus pocus, and I'm going to raise him. He doesn't know either because he's in the crucible also. He's in the furnace also. And so Elijah prays. The boy breathes again. He brings her down, brings him down to the mom, and look at what he says at the end. She says, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is from your mouth is the truth. And the word Lord capitalized as the word of Yahweh. He's saying, I know this God is true. She initially only wanted sustenance, but what God wanted to give her was salvation, and she found that through the fire. So many times we think, God, you don't know what you're doing in the midst of this place. Why are you doing this? Why did I get rejected from this place? Why didn't I get, why is the door closed to this? Why is this thing happening? Why am I... Dealing with all of these things, God has a bigger and greater purpose for us in this place. He's still refining us. And how we encounter God, how we respond to God can not only lead others to an encounter, but it opens us up to a far greater encounter. She experienced God through the miracle of the daily provision of bread. But now God was doing something infinitely greater. To give a faith not in the things that he gives, but in the person that he is. That just as I raised your son to life, on the final day, I can do that for you as well. We don't again. I don't understand all of the ins and outs, but one thing I understand is that when a boy dies, when a child dies, when a person dies, they become unclean. And anyone who touches the body of a dead person becomes unclean as well. And yet what Elijah is saying is, I'm willing to become unclean in order that he might live again. We see in Elijah one of the clear pictures of Jesus. If Zarephath is the last place we'd expect to meet God, then most certainly the cross would be even further down that line. A Roman cross, not the place you'd expect to encounter God, but it was there at the cross that Jesus stretched out and said, I'll become unclean 
by taking your sin upon me in order that you who are dead in your sins and transgressions, Ephesians 2, could be brought to life again so that you could have life, the life that is eternal. God has so much more for us. So much more for us. You're going through the furnace. You're going through the fire. You're in the crucible. God's still working in you. Not only does he sit with you, meet with you, refine you, but he's doing something in you that's going to lead countless people to an encounter with God. And if you open your heart up to him, he will lead you to a fresh encounter with him, unlike anything that you've known before. You'd understand that God can use you. You, me. We give ourselves to him to lead others to an encounter, to encounter him ourselves. Let's pray together. My brothers and sisters, are you going through the fire right now? Are you in Zarephath right now? Are you shaking your fist at God? Why did you do this to me? Can I tell you that your response right now could make all the difference in the world? Your response right now could make all the difference in the world. Maybe not for the dreams that you originally had of what you wanted to do or where you wanted to be or what you aspired to do for God, but right now, right, right now, this time of waiting, this time of confusion is not wasted. Your response right now is powerful. Your response right now is powerful in leading others to see God and in opening the door for you to see God in a new and fresh way as well. Can we take a minute right now just to pray to the Lord? Say, Father, would you help me? Father, would you help me in the midst of the fire to be faithful to you, to give all that I am to you? Maybe others of us in here, maybe others of us in here, we feel afraid to give to God what he's asking for. He asks for everything we have ever counted dear. And maybe at first, our trembling hands were afraid to let go. But he reminds us of all that he's done for us, all that he's given to us. And if that alone were all that he did, it would still be enough. But he gives grace upon that grace, more grace that meets us on the other side of our obedient surrender to him. Would you give what you have to God? Would you take a step of faith if God is calling you somewhere, someplace, somehow? Would you take that step of faith? Say, Lord, here I go. I don't know how, but it's not up to me to figure out how. Here I go. I'm giving it all to you, everything I have, all to Jesus. If I keep my bread and fish, I can feed myself. But if I give it to you, I can feed a crowd of people. Lord, I don't want to keep it to myself. God, you gave me blessings on earth in order that I might lead people to an encounter with you. Everything I give to you can be exchanged for eternal dividends. God, I give myself to you so that what you've blessed me with would not be hoarded for myself, but would be given away so that others might encounter God. Help me, Lord. I give it all to you for the sake of an eternal reward. I give it to you. Let's spend a few moments praying. We seek the Lord together. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to give? What do you want me to offer? Giving it all to you. Let's pray for a few moments and then we'll continue to worship as I pray, as we give of our gifts continue to respond in song. Let's pray for a moment.
other one of the people that I uh, man would just long to see in glory is this widow of Zarephath just ask her talk to her why God chose her out of all the people in Zarephath why God chose me out of all the people on earth it's amazing grace amazing overflowing streams that never end of grace poured out into our lives far more than we could ever imagine or deserve Lord you've given us so much and my confession is that it's so easy to spend it on me to spend it on temporary pleasure to spend it on more clothes to spend it on more kids toys to spend it on more of this and that and this and that when father you've given us these things in order that we might use it to build a bridge in the people's hearts so that they might walk across a bridge into glory to an encounter with you father help us to turn our temporal currency our temporal treasures the things you've given us here on earth that we can't take to heaven help us to use those things in order to lead other people to a fresh encounter with you Lord, may we not be selfish. Even now, maybe your Father, placing a burden in our hearts for people in Haiti. Maybe now you're placing a burden in our hearts for people who this Thanksgiving, Christmas season will go hungry here in Orlando. Maybe now you're placing in our hearts a renewed commitment to give to a building project so that more people in our area could be reached. Maybe you're calling us to give more to our missionaries so that their work would continue. Lord, may we know that whatever we give to you immediately becomes touched with immortality and that you can use it to do far greater things than we could. So help us, Lord, for your glory, for our joy, and so that many people would encounter you. We give our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.